relationship with this building, sometimes uh, you get a little frustrated by the fact that it's old and things break. But man, I'm really glad to be here. Praise God that he's uh, allowed us to be back in this place. So if you're here, that's good. You made it. You found it. You knew we were meeting here. If you're not, you're not listening to this. So it doesn't really matter. But um, I want to encourage you to continue to... um, uh, you know, be mindful of what we do, why we gather on Sundays. I think the past couple of months was a great reminder as we were meeting in the school that ultimately the church is not a building, even as nice as it might be with all this stained glass and nice pews. Some of you love these pews um, really a lot. I, but uh, we're reminded that the church is the people that are gathered together in the name of God. So uh, wherever we are, we, we we're able to worship God together. Um, just uh, something to put on your thoughts as we approach Easter. Some of you are like, Easter, man, it's like wintertime. No, Easter's coming pretty quick. It's actually, this year is a little funny joke. It's April Fool's Day. So um, it's going to be that Sunday, April 1st. Um, what I'm going to encourage you, if you see, we in the front of our church, we tend to have a lot more space open. Um, what I'm going to ask you to get into the habit of doing is moving on. You don't have to do it today. You know, we're adjusting slowly back in. But to sit as far front as you're able to so that you leave space, especially those who might be new guests, uh, particularly on Easter, but other times or coming in a little bit later. Uh, we don't want anyone to have to do that, that awkward walk to the front and, and have it in front of everyone. So if you normally come here, we're going to encourage you, be a good host. Sit up as front as you're able to. Um, so that's my little mini thing. Just a couple of news uh, items of note for you to be aware of. Uh, something's going on in the church. We don't announce everything here, so we encourage you to sign up for the email list. But um, Christy Culbreth leads our youth ministry. is doing a tremendous job, and we have a couple of things coming up. Particularly if you have children middle school age, sixth grade and up, uh, this is for you to be aware of. But monthly, we're trying to institute these um, youth lunches during Sunday. So we sing together, but then during the time of preaching here, youth would go off and you do your own time together and lunch. So if that's relevant to you, please be aware of that. But we're going to have our next interest lunch next Sunday, just to brainstorm a little bit, even how to best use that time. So if you have children who are sixth grade and up, we definitely would love for them to be there. They're going to start then and probably go till around 1230 or so. Uh, So be aware of that. And also we have a youth night. These are monthly and the next Next one's going to be on Friday the 16th um, here at the church building on Friday night. And this, this uh, month's theme is Fear Factor, which, uh, man, that's, that's going to be fun stuff. Uh, I, I don't know what youth do for fear nowadays, so it should be interesting. But if that's, there's actually going to be different um, age groups from third grade on up into high school. So different, and it won't be all together. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, but if your children are that age, please come out that night. It's a great time to also invite others in as well. Um, also, we, uh, in our church, we celebrate different things, but one we celebrate as well is baptism. Baptism is something the Lord describes uh, through his word, how we mark that we follow Jesus. So if, if you follow Christ, if you've never been baptized, we invite you to consider what baptism is and to learn about it, and we just make a big deal out of that. So uh, let us know. You can put it on a connection card. You can talk to one of the pastors. We would love to walk through this journey and see if baptism is a good step for you. Uh, I know we've got a few people waiting for that, so we just like to do it all together and have a great celebration. And just one final note, uh, we have a class that we call Pathways Equip, and anytime you hear class, you might get overwhelmed and think it's like really intense. This is not that intense, honestly. We do two sessions right after worship. We provide lunch, and we go over some basics of what it means to follow Jesus, particularly in our church. So we invite you, if you haven't done, uh, gone through the Pathways Equip class, come today. 
It's going to be after worship downstairs in the main classroom. Um, if you haven't signed up, you're still welcome to be there, particularly if you're thinking about partnership. And we'll, just, we'll uh, describe that more another time. If you're thinking about walking with the church, uh, this is one of those things that we ask you to go through so you can learn what we think is important here at the village. So that's going to be today, uh, right after around noon downstairs. So, um, man, we've been, we've started this series through James a while back and we're starting just on chapter two. Yeah, we're going little by little here, but it's okay. The Bible's always there, so we're going to be good. But we're, we're continuing the series to the book of James, which I, I love the book of James. It's just really practical. And this is a respected leader who's writing to scattered immigrant believers. And, you know, that's got some relevance for us in our nation right now. As we talk about the stranger, we talk about the immigrant. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to be an immigrant anywhere. But James, he's talking to people who follow Jesus, and they're going through different tests, trials, temptations. And we've seen, if you track through the first chapter, he talks a lot about not just hearing these things, but living out the word of God in action. So what we're going to look at today is a test that James gives the people to practice this word of the God, word of God, word of the Lord. So we're going to have the verses up here first, but I would also encourage you, if you have a Bible or your device, uh, or if you want to pick up one of the Bibles in the pews, you can turn there just so you have it ready. But this is page 869, but we're also going to have it up here right now. James chapter 2 and verse, starting verse 1. Let me read for us. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, I love listening to the word of the Lord, even if it's my own voice. I mean, I spoke somewhere last weekend out in Illinois, and they had someone from South Africa reading the scripture. It was amazing. I was telling the church, yo, I need to take that guy back with me to uh, to read the scripture. But we love hearing the word of God here. And, And James here. He describes this test that the people are given. And, and we see the scenario here. It's, it's presented, you have different visitors to this fellowship, to the believers James writing to. And you've got, and we know this is not just a hypothetical. He's not just giving them a hypothetical because he says how they've responded. But you've got people who it's apparent as they walk and they've got some wealth. Um, and you've got some people coming in just from the observation. It doesn't seem like they have much wealth. But James is using this as a test. And he's saying, you know, how you treat the poor as opposed to those you consider rich, that's really a great indicator of this faith that you say you have in Jesus Christ. And and it's helpful to understand the context here. James is writing 
to those who are really primarily the leaders of this church. So he's writing to those people who are speaking or seeking spiritual offices. So for instance, it's like people in that church who are like, man, I would love to be an elder in this church, or I would love to be a community group leader or whatever it might be. He's, he's spe- speaking to them because it affects, it's been affecting how they treat other people. And, you know, I know it's hard for us in 2018 to understand this concept, but back then it was really about who you know, right? I know it's totally different now and we don't do that anymore. But back then it was about like your stature is based upon who you know and and you treat those who have power and wealth because they can give you something that maybe you don't have. And I think there's just some very practical, before we jump in, some really practical lessons for us here, even in our church. So, um, we, we just encourage you very honestly. We think part of your worship is your giving. So we don't abuse that to say, okay, well, keep giving money because God's got a blessing waiting for you, but you haven't been giving, so he's not wanting to give it. Well, no, that's shady. That's like middle of the night TV weird stuff. We don't believe in that, but we do encourage that part of your worship to God is giving your time, your service, but also your finances. That's, that's just real. So you should give very regularly, you should give cheerfully, and you should give sacrificially. We highly encourage that, but purposely what we don't do in our church is also say, okay, now write down a number so the pastors know how much you're giving here, so we can keep you accountable. We don't do that. Here's one, there's a lot of different reasons. Here's one reason. I want to know that you're giving. I don't know how, I don't want to know how much you're giving, because I think that I might be okay with knowing how every one of you gives, but I might not. And I don't want this scenario that's present in many churches where, you know, Bob comes in. And right, you know, Bob's not gotten, got much special about him. But wow, look at that check he just dropped in the box. Oh, wow, he's giving a lot. Oh, man, I had something I, I wanted to say, but Bob might get offended by that. So I better hold back because I don't want Bob to, like, take that check back. Simply, uh, money makes us act weird. <laughs> and what our perception of what people have. And we just never, as a church, want to be in that place where we're allowing our kind of assessment of people's wealth, relative lack, or, or a, a great wealth, to determine how well we treat people. I just, def- I never want to settle into that idea. So that, we want to be very clear. Um, there are real lessons for us to learn here. But, but we also want to make the lesson here, because when we talk about money in church, it can get a little strange. you got to be understanding, when we're looking at this context here, this is not about mere charity that James is saying. This is not just about, hey, man, you see people who are struggling, you better show pity on them. This is not that. I mean, that, that would be a really shallow application of what we've got here. But what James is really trying to hit here is, when you show preference to the rich... Over the poor, you're really revealing your lack of spiritual eyes. When you're treating people differently based on how much you think they have, it's really revealing that you don't think spiritually in your life. And we see this in verse 5, right? It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. He's saying here, yo, you're looking still with eyes of flesh, and you judge people, man, if they don't have much, oh, man, pity on them. And God is saying, no, actually, those are like the ones who are rich in the kingdom. You have no clue. Those are the ones who are exalted in the kingdom. So treat them well. Honor them. 
and their preferential treatment of the rich over the poor, it's demonstrating a lack of spiritual awareness in their lives. So I think that's just a very obvious lesson here. It's talking about the treatment of the poor in very practical ways, and we need to be challenged on that. Um, I'm going to guess from meeting many of you, and maybe some of you have come in, I haven't met you, and you're, you're like this, so if you are, it's okay. But from knowing most of you, I don't think you're the type, if someone comes in, if they look rich compared to someone who maybe they don't look as rich, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to treat you well, and you, you don't have much, so you sit at my feet here. You don't deserve a chair. You know, you're kind of kind people here. You're like you're kind of merciful, I think. I think. Um, so I don't think, I, I think it'd be easy to read this and say, yeah, man, James, get him. You know, those selfish, greedy, fleshly people. Get him, James. Um, we, can, we can do these things without even knowing we're doing it. Maybe we can describe it as giving off markers. Um, I'll, I'll take it back to when I was younger and growing up in, in public school. And I grew up in a very uh, privileged neighborhood, even though uh, my family price... I'm never going to say we're poor, but we, I mean, we struggled a little bit, right? I was just a, it was the immigrant journey we were on. My dad, blue collar, worked in the factory. We didn't have that much, but, you know, for Asians, good school district. So we were in this great school district, right? <laughs> Anyway, so I was growing up without much, but everyone around me um, had seemed to have a lot to my young teenage eyes. And one thing in particular, maybe this reveals my shallowness. I used to look at people talking about their clothing. And man, everyone seemed to have these shirts, and I'm dating myself, with these nice little crocodiles. Or like these dudes riding a horse. And that was like epic in those days. That was like a sign you had it. And it was really shameful for me because um, we, we just didn't buy clothes because we didn't have that kind of money. But we would have clothes delivered from Korea. And in Korea, the clothes come in had this big hippo on it, right? <laughs> like that was like the John back in the day. Like having a hippo on your shirt in Korea was like having a crocodile on your shirt in America. But as, as a relatively chubby kid growing up in America, you don't want a hippo on your shirt. <laughs> it, it just, the optics were really bad. <laughs> It didn't work well, but it's, it's fascinating how in my mind, uh, everyone else seemed to have a lot and they had the markers that they had a lot. I had a hippo. And even though no one really said anything like, oh man, you're poor. Oh, you don't really fit in here. Wow. Well, you didn't get a car and a second car for your 16th birthday. <laughs> but I felt like I was different and I felt like I didn't belong. And I felt like I was not fully included. And what I'm saying for our church, we might never say the kind of words to say, oh, you don't, you don't belong here. But sometimes with the way we talk about things, the markers we put out, when we start talking about like, and I'm, I'm not saying these things are bad at all, but like how we use our money, like talking about how much we struggle, but then we're talking about these vacations we take or things we just bought. If we're not mindful of it, we can make others have a reflection back saying, oh, wow, this is like a church where this is valued or everyone's like this. And I think just a practical word, let's be mindful of these things. What kind of markers are we putting out of who is welcomed or not? So all this is very real, but, but I want to take us a little bit more. I want us to recognize, that, yeah, this is talking about the poor and the rich, and that's real, but this is also talking generally about this larger issue of partiality. 
It's talking about this larger issue of partiality. I would just um, define very generally. Partiality is basing our perception of others from external sources. Basing our perception of others from external sources. So if we would think of what partiality looks like for us, maybe. um, Maybe it's we treat others based on who we are as we observe through our senses. So as we see someone walk in here, I mean church, or we see someone at work, or we see someone on the street, maybe the style that they have in their clothing, the way that they dress, or the way that they do their hair, or maybe cultural expressions of of how things... um, or maybe it's like we see people with different markers, like their hats have different like political slogans. And what we do, if we're not mindful, is that um, we can base our perception of who that person is based on these things that we observe. And, and maybe if we're not careful, that can lead us to this thing called partiality, where we start treating certain people better or worse depending on some of the things that we can see as we read off of them. Or, or maybe just to, maybe, again, I think we've got kind of a cool, cool group here. You guys are cool kids here. Um, maybe some of you are like, yeah, get them, pastor. Get those bigot tires. Yeah. Um, maybe you're like, you fall under that category of you want to be impartial. Like that's like a life value for you. Um, often, if we're not careful, we are like showing partiality to those people who we think are impartial. Like our value is, yeah, we don't want to gauge people like that, but what we're doing is we're judging a whole group of people who we think are like that. Like, thank God I'm not like those people. And we're doing the same exact thing. I mean, and this can even take on a religious looking tone. Um, I think sometimes we can observe how people express themselves spiritually. And one of the things about being in a multi-kind of cultural church is great. We have a lot of different expressions of how you pray, how you sing, how you talk, how you do group, how you do donuts. I mean, whatever it might be, right? It might just be different. Based, and we can have in our minds, oh, you're that kind of person. Oh, you believe in those kind of things. And we automatically like start to classify people in different tribes even according to things like doctrinal differences. Maybe we hear some people talk in certain language about God. We're like, oh, that's one of them. That's one of them. I want to make really clear here. Um, I'm not saying that every opinion or viewpoint is equally value or is equally valid. That's ridiculous. Like, I'm not. That guy says, oh, well, whatever you believe, as long as you really believe it, it's true. As No, that's, that's stupid. That's not true. It, it, it's okay to disagree with someone over something that's not right. And I, I would hope that part of a Christian community, it's recognizing that we all equally come to God and we all got our stuff. We all got stuff that needs changed. There, there's no room for arrogance. It's saying we all have things that hopefully someone will speak into our life and say, hey, you need some work on that. Please, some work on that. But here's the question. Even as we have those things, Do those external factors affect how I treat others? That's like the big question here. Do those external things that that could cause partiality, is that affecting then how I treat other people? So even if I disagree with someone, you can approach it one way. But is my disagreement or my observation of who they are, is that causing me to treat them as somehow less than? That's the point here. Because here's a fairly simple concept, but I want you to chew on this. 
How we treat others shows what we really believe about God. This is not rocket science. This is kind of like elementary, but I think it's profound. How we treat others shows what we really believe about God. And, and the Apostle John writes about this in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What, what John is saying is here, y'all, y'all go to worship service and you got these fancy songs talking about, I love God, I love God, I love God. And then you go home and you're beefing with your neighbor or your friend or your brother. You can't sing those songs. You can't say you love God and you don't love people you can see. That, that, that doesn't work like that. I, I would suggest maybe um, a more accurate glimpse of our Christian faith is not how well we treat those people who we already like. You don't need Christian faith to do that. I mean, you can be a Satanist and like the people that you already got much in common with. But maybe a more accurate glimpse of who we are in our faith is, how do we treat those that we don't have much in common with? That maybe some of us look down upon. Maybe some of us shake our heads. Maybe some of us say, oh, they're, they're that. Oh, they're pretty different. Because we're talking about following Jesus. And, and it means looking at life and people through spiritual eyes. Because that's how Jesus lived his life. I mean, a few things we observe from how Jesus lived his life. Jesus wasn't impressed by resumes. He wasn't impressed by the things people brought in to describe who they were. We see it by the extent of how he reached out to people. He was always connecting with people. But it's fascinating if you track some of this because you see Jesus, he spent a lot of time with some people like, who were like rich young rulers. I mean, he spent time with rich folk and he told them they need Jesus. But he also spent time with like blind man by the pool. We're assuming who didn't have much and say, you need Jesus too. Jesus was all about telling him, y'all, you need me. Whether you got a lot, whether you're at different cultures. And, and let, let's get straight here. Jesus wasn't like colorblind. He wasn't culturally neutral. He wasn't all like, well, y'all the same. It no, I mean, Jesus, he, he always took in people's cultural context when he loved them. He knew exactly what their need was and he knew what their background was. But here's the thing. He didn't allow those factors to affect his treatment of them. He loved people regardless of what they brought in, of what marked them. And, and just, I guess, a kind of a side thought for us here. Um, we have to be really careful, almost on the other side, and I've observed this in our church. Um, if some people come in, it, it doesn't take like spiritual discernment to say, oh, wow, they really need help. And your, your heart feels for them. You're like, wow, they are on like skid row. They're struggling. Man, they're really, man, I, I, I have compassion for them. But guys, we need to think a little deeper spiritually because someone can walk in, three-piece suit, hair all nicely pomaded and like looking good. And, got, and you can think, oh, wow, they've really got life together. And we can think totally like a pagan and never think that they need Jesus. We need to think deeper. And we got to think more spiritually. we got to look at things with spiritual eyes like Jesus did, whether rich or poor. We also see that Jesus, he recognized potential in people. Jesus recognized potential. And just a real simple thought, but I know I'm prone to do this, but I judge people by their past rather than their future. Like, I would have never seen this, this cat, this terrorist named Saul, 
and recognize that God had a whole plan for him to become Paul. Like I, I, in my flesh, I probably wouldn't say, I'll be like, yo, that cat's damaged. Man, that guy's horrible. He's a terrorist. Yo, keep him out. Don't give him any donuts in our church. He doesn't deserve, you know, I, I, I look with eyes of flesh, but Jesus recognizes the potential. Jesus stops like these stories of, we see this woman by a well that everyone else looks at as damaged goods. And Jesus is like, oh, that's going to be my missionary. That's going to be my missionary to the whole town there. You don't know that. I'm going to spend a little time here. We're going to do a little chatting here. We're going to do, and then man, she's going to just, life is going to be flipped around. I'm going to send her back. Jesus sees potential. He doesn't show preferential treatment. And I think I'll also observe that Jesus was, um, he was judged himself. And this is hilarious. Because of what other people, when they looked at Jesus, what they thought he was, who they thought he was, they treated him like a joker. They treated him like a punk. They treated him like he was a heretic, not knowing that he was actually God. And they allowed their uh, their senses, they allowed their perception to frame who they thought Jesus was. And they failed to see that they were in the very presence of God himself. So as we think about these things, what does it mean for you to grow more like Jesus? Um, I mean, some of us might say, yeah, man, it means for me praying more. Oh man, I, I need to read my Bible more. Man, I need to come to church more regularly. I want to be more of a faithful giver of my resources. I want to do all these things. And I'm going to say that's all great. Those are all, I would say they're really good ways to measure our faith, our relationship with God. But we have to also understand that faith is much more than a list of doctrinal and behavioral checkoffs on a list. Amen? Christian faith is so much more than just these items that we can check off to say, I've done this, I believe this, because God is a relational God. So if God is a relational God, knowing him well, it always means it's expressed in the quality of our relationships with others as well. Because God is relational, we gauge our relationship with him based on the relationships we have with others. Here's the kicker. Both those that you've got a lot of affection for, but also those that you couldn't give a rip about. You are like antagonistic to them. God uses those things to gauge our relationship with him. And we see here in James, God takes this really seriously. You want to know how seriously? Look at verse 8 again. Let me read this. I think it warrants a second reading. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So James is writing here about what kind of standard God expects. And he's talking about partiality. He started with the poor and the rich. He's saying, and your issue here is partiality. You treat people differently based on how much you think they have. And that's going to a deeper issue here. You are partial to people. You treat people differently. And you want, this is serious here. So go obey the law, but you got to recognize um, if you're showing partiality, if you treat people differently, it's like you're disobeying the whole law here. He uses the example here. Yo, you can obey everything in the law, but if you fall short in some aspect of it, you're falling short of it all. 
So yeah, you can say, um, yeah, I, I don't commit adultery, but I murdered. Well, then it's like you disobeyed the law. Because the standard we're given here is perfection. And, and the thing is, some of you are real like holy moly types, much more. I have much to learn from you. Your behavior is much better than mine. But the sad thing is we all fall short under the standard. What it's saying is that, you know, you could be the one who doesn't commit adultery. You hear some stories, maybe some people share sometimes of how they've uh, done really s- certain stuff. They've murdered or committed adultery. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm not like that. What this is saying is that if you show partiality, you're all in the same boat. You fall short because this is all under the same law. And this, I don't know about you, this just doesn't sound like good news. I mean, it sounds kind of demoralizing, honestly. I mean, especially if you stop there in the middle of verse 13. Because the reality and my hope for us here today, and not because I hate you, but because I love you, is to help you to recognize we are people prone to partiality. We just are. Our flesh is prone to it. No matter how much we say we treat all people equally, dig deep enough to see that we don't. We've got our preferences. We've got our favorites. We've got the people we're going to treat better and others we're not going to treat as well, even if we don't act on it. And one, one class I had in, um, in my doctoral class, it was, it was great because we were talking about cultural differences. And the professor, his goal was try to expose this. So he's like, y'all a bunch of pastors in here and you know all the law, love everyone the same, just like Jesus loved you. Um, here's the test. If you are on like a long, 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 long flight or a long bus ride and you're sitting there and this is going to be like a, one of those like 12-hour johns, right? You're on there. Who in your mind's eye do you see yourself flinch when you see them coming towards the seat next to you? Who in your mind's eye, whether it's stylistically, whether it's what you can perceive, maybe how they smell, maybe it's a religious insignia, maybe it's a political marker. Who in your mind's eye do you see yourself kind of flinching when you think about having to sit next to them for 12 hours on a long trip? Because we've all got partialities. We've all got different ways that we view different people. Our hearts are born that way. I mean, again, we don't have to try to be good to those who are good to us. A three-year-old can do that. I mean, we don't have to really muster up much to sit together with those who, who like us, who agree with us, who, who look like us. But if I'm honest, I don't feel at ease with those who are different than me. And I'm not going to list all those things off here because I don't want anybody to think, you know, I don't like you. It's just, it's just not as natural. It's just not as normal, but that's why we always read the whole passage. Because for people like you and me, who are prone to partiality, the end of verse 13 reminds us why we call this good news, mercy triumphs over judgment. Can you say that together? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Because the reality as we look in the Bible is that God is the only one who is ever fully impartial. God is the same to every person, regardless of who they are. And by his standards, it means that he is the only one who has the right to put judgment upon every single person because every person has fallen under the standards which he has set, which is perfection to the law. It doesn't mean some people are better or worse than others, but under God's standards, everyone falls short. And God alone has the right to judge. But here's the amazing thing. Though God had the right to judge What did he do? He showed that mercy triumphs over judgment. And to his own cost, to his very own son, 
Jesus, who took upon himself the penalty of sin, went on this thing called a cross to die for people who are partial, even though he was impartial, and took upon himself the sin and the stain and the penalty of death. This is not up on the screen, but Romans 5, verse 7 and 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But catch this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is amazing news because, and if you're new to this Christian thing, I really hope you can grasp this. Christians are not people who are better than other people. Christians are not more moral. Christians are not even people who've learned how to control their behavior a little bit better. Christians are people who recognize and receive that we have been shown mercy when we deserve judgment. That's ultimately what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who says, oh man, I didn't know what that's, the, that's what the law said. I'm doomed. What? Jesus took that upon himself? He took my penalty? I get mercy instead of judgment? And that's what being a Christian is. Because this mercy, it was purchased by a great cost by God himself in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. He paid for it with his blood on the cross. He rose from the grave three days later to conquer sin and death and that judgment that came with it. Guys, this is the kind of supernatural love that transforms us to the core. Because if this becomes our story... We are given a supernatural ability to do the impossible and treat others as God has treated us. Because if you've been shown mercy, we can now show mercy to others, even if they probably don't deserve it. That's the supernatural effect of the cross. And I think if you're here... Again, the goal is not to beat you because you're unloving. The goal is honestly for you to know Jesus more. And I want you to dig in and say, how are you partial? Are you partial? Do you treat different people differently based on what you see? If someone got a Make America Great Again hat on, how do you think about them? If someone come in here smelling a certain way, how do you think about them? If someone come in here and their hair's done in a certain way, how do you think about them? Maybe for you, some of you, it's real personal. Maybe it's a family matter. Maybe it's a neighbor matter. Maybe it's a work matter. Are there people that you treat differently based on who they are or maybe what they've done? If you have that, may I invite you to let that drive you to the cross. Because the goal here is not, well, stop being, impar- stop being partial. Be impartial. Rather, the goal is say, okay, Lord, thank you for reminding me again why I need you. Thank you for showing me again why I need Jesus in my life because you've done something I couldn't do because I don't have that kind of love within me. And church, um, I don't know what you think about church. Sometimes this can be like a big holy huddle kind of deal. But if you do this well, there should be people you're meeting in this church that are like, man, I just don't get them. (laughs) Well, especially in a church with different cultures represented, you're like, I have no idea why she just said that. I don't know why he does that. I don't know why that pastor make me take off my shoes when I go to his house. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, don't get, I don't get how you can believe that politically and say you're a Christian. And both sides of the aisle are saying that. I don't believe how you can view that about these cultural matters. 
I don't believe, I, I don't understand. And you know what? That's God loving us as a church. Because the more diverse we get here, the more God is putting different people in your path that are very different than you to drive you to him. Because what God does, he's a relational God. He's also given us our relationships so that we might ultimately have people to love, but also we might see how we're not as loving as we try to give ourselves credit for. And this is why we need Jesus. Church then becomes a great exercise in us growing closer and closer to God because he gives us one another to confound one another. He gives us one another sometimes to frustrate one another. He gives one another with very different values at times. Why? To show us this is your heart and this is why you continue to need me even when you're really good at checking off all those doctrinal points. You got all the theology down, but you still need to learn who I am at the core. So if you're a Christian, can I invite Let these things that you see in your heart, who do you have a hard time getting along with? Can that invite you to the cross? But I also want to put out there for some of us here, maybe you're new to this Jesus thing. Maybe you would say you grew up in church even, or maybe you're far from God, or maybe you've never been in church before. Maybe this is the first time. And if you are feeling as you're in this place, man, I just feel like I'm on the outside. I feel like I don't fit in. I feel like everyone's got their kind of understanding. There's like some club here. I just don't feel like I'm fully accepted who I am. I want to welcome you to the message of Jesus because that's who Jesus loved. Jesus loved to invite in those who felt like they were outside the box and say, you can be part of this family too. And if that's you, and maybe you've even been coming to this church and you've kind of felt on the outside, can I invite you to say it's not going to necessarily be easy But God wants to receive you. And if you give us a chance that we could receive one another as well, that we would be a church that gives grace in the midst of that. So let me ask you to stand with me right now. And as our music team comes up and leads us to respond. I'm going to ask you to do this. A lot of times we spend time praying individually, and that's good. That's really good. You you need time with God. But, and I'm not going to force anyone to do this, but could I ask you to maybe pray with some people here today? Maybe it's people you came with, but maybe it's even people you didn't. Reach out to someone. Pray for them. Maybe one of the best ways to put this in action is pray for someone you actually haven't met before. And maybe God is inviting you through the community here to know him more, to break through some barriers together, and to kill this thing called partiality that wants to divide us and say, now in Jesus, we have made this one new family, this glorious, sometimes jacked up, diverse, full of different values, family. But we're family. So let me pray for us. And after I pray, again, I want to invite you to the table. If you're a Christian, come up, take a piece of that bread, Dip it in the cup. Come up both sides and take it right there on the table. Be reminded of the work Jesus did to make this happen. But then let's also exercise this. Think about maybe someone you've got a beef with. But also let's pray for one another and pray with one another. Lord, help us as we come before you. Lord, you remind us more and more that the goal of the scriptures is not to tell us how good we've been or how much we've obeyed. But Lord, to be able to receive your grace, to be able to be reminded, Lord, that what you want us to be is sometimes far greater than what we've even determined, but you give us Jesus so we can live these things out. So I pray for any of us in this room, maybe you're revealing some darkness in our hearts towards others. Maybe for some of us, Lord, you're revealing how we've held grudges 
We hold stereotypes. We've allowed things to divide us. And perhaps, Lord, you're, you're inviting us to this message of the cross that breaks down those barriers. We see one another as people who need you just as we need you. And that we would revolutionary, in a revolutionary way, Lord, live out this love together. So help us do that, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do. The only one truly who lived these things out now invites us to follow you. We love you, Lord. We love you. So again, I want to invite you to pray, receive the communion. Pray with one another if that's what the Lord is leading you in this place as well.